Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the part where I tell you how you can support the show. Head on over to freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash support. There are many ways there that you can support the show. The best way is on that website. If you go right to the store, you can do that annually or monthly, or you can just send something in the mail. It's P.O. Box 413, Lineville, Alabama, 36266. I always enjoy reading the letters They really mean a lot to me, and I save every single one of them, and I try to respond in some way to each and every one. So I just want to thank everybody for making it possible for me to do this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing good, Tim. How are you? Very well. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Well, uh, you've been following the news lately? (laughs) Unfortunately, yes. Um. Apparently, uh, it's um, well, there's an anti-Semitism scare going on. There's, there's been an explosion. I think the um, ADL is reporting a 387 percent increase in or something like that. I don't whatever. Four hundred, three hundred fifty percent, eight hundred percent. And is that counting the last three thousand years or is that just now? It's just I think that this fall since oh. October 7th. Gotcha. They're following it now, of course, according to Nikki Haley. For every half hour someone spends on TikTok, Chinese-owned TikTok, it increases anti-Semitism 17%. Now, I don't know if that, that, that compounds daily or... <laughs> you know, a friend of, a friend of mine um, <laughs> searched, ser- tried to search for that. He like He's like, you have no idea the words that I use to try and... Uh, verify her claim. <laughs> I, she just made it up out of thin air. Uh, so for, to, for every half hour, seventeen percent. Now, I guess uh, you could you could argue that there is some validity to that. It's um is because every time I watch Jonathan Greenblatt, <laughs> 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 you know, it's kind of thing. What is well? What do you, of course? What do you mean by anti-Semitism? Right? What does that mean? It's basically it's whether it's. Uh, resentment or criticism or uh, uh, ill will or bad feelings towards Jews or Jewish organizations or what particular Jew or Jewish organization is doing. Um, did you catch any of the hearings at Capitol Hill last week when they hauled up those, uh, was it the three gory women presidents yes, of the I, <laughs> Yes, I uh, unfortunately, I, I was able to um, hear those and yeah, the the people who prep them for that, they really need to be fired. Well, it's almost well, they're all stupid. 
a bunch of stupid women, right? Because that's that's you need to have stupid women leading Ivy League schools now. And it really really helpful if they happen to be women of color, because she's the one that isn't has or I think the one at MIT is still there. Was it MIT? What was it? It was a three universities. I have a list here. It was um, Harvard's Claudine Gay. She's holding, staying in her in her position. It was MIT, yeah, a, a Sally Cornbluth, and then uh, Pennsylvania Penn's Liz McGill, who did resign because of her testimony. Um, so they were hauled up there, and they were sort of, uh, I guess they were uh, harassed by the Congress critters about their, I guess their lack of, um, they weren't sufficiently pro, uh, uh, they weren't pr- sufficiently enthusiastic about Israel, apparently. <laughs> By permitting some criticism or some demonstrations on on their campuses regarding the uh, Israeli Palestinian conflict in Gaza, um, well, the pill, the the wordplay and the pill pulling that I kept hearing was that the question was is is it free speech to call for genocide? And basically, what I heard was. It seemed like the presidents were, well, they can call for it, but it's not something that needs to be acted upon until they act. You know, it's like, uh, I mean, and yeah, I, I can kind of understand that, you know, college kids. I was a college kid once. I was stupid. Yes. I knew a lot of I did a lot of stupid things, said a lot of stupid things. I've said a lot of stupid things my whole life. And you also have to take into consideration okay so you have these college kids even if they're calling for hey we need to level israel everyone in israel needs to be killed if they're calling for that what power do they have to do that yeah i think it's it's a general it's not a specific threat so that's covered under the brandenburg uh uh standards that the supreme court laid down but you know was it back in the 40s uh meaning that you in order to something in order for language to be assault has to be uh, specific and imminent, meaning you can't give a speech, you know, calling for retribution or something and say, hey, that's, you know, arrest that person because he's saying that um, you have to have a specific threat. Now, there's even it's even worse because I don't think anyone on the campus of MIT or Penn or Harvard had openly called for genocide. They, they what they call they've called for intifada and from a river to the sea, Palestine must be free, and for a struggle against a, uh, Israeli occupation. Now, what uh, uh, Elise Stefanik and some of the other Congress uh, critters have done is they've twisted the words. They've said that somehow that intifada is, by definition, is genocide, means genocide of Jews. What it doesn't, it means resistance or shaking off. So I suppose Jewish privilege now includes redefining Arabic words. So then she says, because intifada means genocide, when you say that people have uh, on the campus of of Penn or Harvard, uh, you, it, it doesn't violate the the policy uh, of these universities uh, to advocate gen- to call for genocide. Follow the logic or lack thereof. <laughs> and yeah. now, when you read news reports, it says uh, college presidents failed to condemn calls for genocide on college campuses. So they just, they just accept that definition, that redefinition of the word. Um, but another thing is, how how often do we hear people saying we need to turn the Middle East to glass? We need they need to flatten Palestine. They need to flatten Gaza. 
We have Israeli defense officials calling for using nuclear weapons. I mean, it's like you, you hear this rhetoric all the time uh, in a conflict. Well, and how how does somebody who's not looking upon that, I mean, unless they're completely ignorant of what Gaza is, not think that these people are completely insane when they want to nuke their own country? Yeah. It's not like, you know, I, I have to re- constantly remind people of this because they constantly talk about the border between Gaza and Israel. It's not a border. It's a fence. Mm-hmm. And by saying it's a border, what you're doing is you're making people believe that it's a different country. It's not. These people are calling for the nuking of their own country. And nobody thinks that that's just that these people are absolutely insane. And I want to come back to the Intifada thing. Okay, so basically removing, you know, if you say from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. That means that uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to kill all Jews. That means they want to get them out of there. And isn't that what how that land was founded in 1948? Yes. Okay, so. I mean, when you talk about politics nowadays and you point out all the inconsistencies and the contradictions, um, it it just gets tired after a while. But I I think when you see this quote unquote rise in anti-Semitism that they're talking about, I think what they're talking about is a combination of something of a few things It's Elon Musk allowing people to speak way more freely on Twitter X and it's people who have woken. I mean, I don't know how many I had one at a somebody that I've met with that I've hung out with, you know, that I've had drinks with. And he told me recently, he said, I was ready to abandon your show because you just you, you were talking so much about the Jews. It was annoying the hell out of me. He goes, and then October 7th happened, and I realized I needed to listen harder. I needed to li- to listen more. I mean, this thing has woken people up. And you know, a lot of people will say that Twitter is not real life. You know, social media is not real life. Uh, maybe it's not. But it's hard to argue against the fact that Twitter X really is like the, the public political square. It's where narratives are born. It's where narratives are pushed. It's messages are sent out um, amongst intelligence uh, agencies one to another. I mean, this is this is the public square. And now people can openly ask questions that, you know, sir, that, that some of us have been asking, you know, for years. I mean, I mean, 25 I've been asking this question for 25 years is. Why? Why do these people have so? Why does it seem seem that you know, as E. Michael Jones calls them, the political Jews? Why do they have so much control? Why do they have so much influence? Why do they seem to be so much on the same page? Why are they all pushing the same things? And now it's just the fact that after October seventh, so many people on social media have woken up to the fact that wow, these they they talk about. Because they got attacked, they talk about ki- killing millions of people back as payback for you know, nine hundred or a thousand, whatever the number actually is. Mm-hmm. And you know, then they find out that they don't care about the hostages. 
They don't care about Israeli hostages. And people are asking questions. Okay, what is wrong? Why do they want to nuke their own country? Why, why is somebody talking about dropping a nuke in their own country? Why are they basically fighting a three-front war right now? What? Why do these people hate them so much? What is the history of this whole thing? And I guess by people asking questions like that and then seeing Ben Shapiro, to, you know, just frothing at the mouth and seeing Laura Loomer frothing at the mouth and seeing all of these um pundits especially ones on the right yeah you know, on the on the quote unquote right IDW types all of a sudden become you know pro Israel Zionist kill them all people are like wait a minute what what's going on with I've heard people I've heard people talk, ask questions about this before, and I just assumed they were bad, hateful anti-Semites. But really, what the hell's going on with these people? Why do they want to kill everyone? And why do they write articles like the the piece that came out today? I think it was in the Jerusalem Post. I put a screenshot of it on Twitter saying supporting Israel with money is no longer enough. <laughs> Yeah, there's one thing that they kind of give up here, or at least they they betray. Is for the longest time we were told that you know is uh, being a Zionist uh, and being a Jew are two separate things that aren't necessarily related. Uh, meaning that you could be a, an American Jew have no connection or loyalty to Israel, but nevertheless, especially with this on on the uh, which exposed with the controversy regarding on these college campuses, is that. Um, it's considered a violation of the code of conduct and constitutes bullying and or harassment of Jewish students to call for intifada. But intifada is resistance to Israeli occupation of Palestinian territory. Why would that have anything to do with American Jews? Unless there is an there is a uh, undeniable connection between American Jews and Israel. It's a Jewish project. So now what they're saying is Israel and Jews are all the same, which most people know that's kind of the case but it's the, the longest time being denied i mean you can't question someone's loyalty you can't accuse someone of dual loyalty or primary loyalty to israel because they're just because they're jewish but nevertheless jews rally around israel even though this issue theoretically should not involve the united states it has no, nothing to do with the united states security or national interest but now all the jews are rallying to support it and now you have a situation where you have jewish oligarchs and billionaires who have um uh, uh donate a lot of money uh, to these universities for for one reason or another, now threaten to pull that money back because now these universities are tolerating protests critical of Israel and uh, and against Jews. And now what they're saying is that's not permissible. So what they're saying is our money means you can't function at, really as a university anymore. You have, to, you have to function as an advocate for Jewish interest if you're going to receive our money. So that's the that's the price of Jewish philanthropy. And it's another thing that we've seen here is that and yeah, I mean, th these things on the college campuses and these presidents, this is just I, I mean, it's super complicated because, first of all, these three presidents, I can't stand them. I, mm -hmm. would, I would love to see them lose their jobs, um, but not for this. But I'll still I mean, I'll still take them um, losing their jobs because, I mean, they're terrible people. But they're losing their jobs because basically of Jewish power and Jewish influence and Jewish money. So it's like, well, my enemies are fighting each other. I'm just going to stand back and watch. Um, 
But when you look at like, it used to be very easy. I think it was easy for people to say up to a certain point that you know, if a Jew, if Barbara Lerner Specter was talking about how Jews have to be at the forefront of making Europe multicultural, you could just look at that and say, you could look at her and say, well, that's one person. She doesn't speak for all the Jews. I don't hear all these Jews talking about. It. Of course, then it happens what she predicts and what she says um, happens. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. Just like the authoritarian personality. It's like, well, that's just a book that was written back in the late 40s. And that was while well, everything in that book came true. Um, yeah, when, when, it's, when it's implemented globally, then you go, oh, it isn't just one person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that I, or, that, or that this one person is very powerful. <laughs> and I think what people yeah. are seeing now is, is that and and it might be part of MK Ultra that you always had to, if a Jew said something that was completely off the wall, well, you have to, it's not all Jews. You have to, but now people see how they've just publicly, publicly come together for this one thing. And you could understand if they came together and they said, look, you know, some people of ours were murdered and everything. We're going to do everything we can um, to get the people who murdered them. And we're going to try and make sure the loss of life, um, uh, you know, we're going to invade Gaza. We're going to try to get them. And some innocent people are going to die. And we're sorry for that. It happens in war, happens in every war. Innocent people die. We're mm -hmm. sorry, but we need to get these people and these people need to pay. Um, I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. But the fact is, is that you had an organized, just you had all of these people identifying as Jews saying, we need to go in there and kill everyone. Okay, so you're doing that. People are noticing that. And people are like, well, why? Why do you need to kill? Oh, well, you're an anti-Semite. And another thing that I've noticed is, is like even friends of mine who I know are not anti-Semites, but they understand because they're they're very well versed in foreign policy. They understand that Zionism, you know, they're anti-Zionist. They will tell you, I, I think, you know, Zionism is called, uh, you know, has been in charge um, and responsible for almost all the wars, you know, at least and and just start with 19, you know, with with Iraq 1991. You don't need mm -hmm. to go back any further. You don't need to complicate it. Just do our generation here. And they can you can go back and say Zionist. But now and you used to be able to get away with saying that I don't like Zionism. I want Zionism to be torn down. It causes too much trouble for American foreign policy. If it's going to exist, we should have nothing to do with it. Now they won't even allow you to do that. You can't even be anti-Zionist because anti-Zionism is just an, it, you're hiding behind your anti-Semitism. Didn't Congress unanimously pass the House of Representatives unanimously pass a resolution to that effect? Yeah. Well, um, did they pass? Was it was that the one or is that something so they, that they introduced well, they, it? They, I think there's been 16 pro-Israeli resolutions since Mike Johnson has been speaker. I can't keep up, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's getting a little ridiculous. I mean, there, there's the standing ovations that Bibi Netanyahu and that Herzog got on Capitol Hill, I think. I think he broke. I think Herzog broke a Bibi's record of 29 or something, got 30 or something. Um, then you have all these resolutions. Of course, since October seventh, Chris, you know, this was a, a raid by Hamas. A, a, some people called a prison break. It lasted, I think, twenty four hours. 
and now they're using it as an excuse to ethnically cleanse Gaza and just bomb in the smithereens so there's nothing to go back to. Then they're going to say, oh, well, it's kind of like facts on the ground. That's the way it is, and there'll be settlements there. And that the same way they that, you know, uh, 1948, uh, it, I think uh, despite owning only 6% of the property in Palestine, the Jews got 55% with the UN deal. And then they just proceeded in the next 20 years to steal another 25%. Um, oh, well, <laughs> that's the way it is. Facts on the ground. What are you going to do? Of course, they, the Jews in, in Palestine re relied on vast diaspora network and also of, of, of sympathetic governments because of because of the narrative of the Second World War to do this, um, you know, involving intelligence agencies, uh, Hollywood moguls, criminal uh, you know, gangsters like Meyer Lansky, these things, gang Jewish gangsters. So they had they had the, they had the um, the the global and organizational advantage over over the Arabs in the area. Um, this is something that you know this is supposedly a, a, a people who are vulnerable and weak and defenseless. Yet they managed to pull these things off, right? They can declare war on Germany in 1933. <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> who, who is Judea? Back then they called it Judea. You know, basically it was a Jewish diaspora. You know, the, you know who are operating in, in the various, uh, you know, uh, developed you know, Western countries of the world at the time. Um, it's informal. There, so they can pretend it doesn't exist, but it, but it, obviously it exists because there were always back then they were working behind the scenes that, to advance their agenda, and you know now they boldly boldly write boast about it now in books and stuff, you know, and and that's the problem is you know and we can always go and talk about their you know the fact that so many of these policies that were pushed by people with Jewish last names um, like mass immigration of refugees and people who are um uh, you know people who are not friendly to the west and how they pushed um liberal i mean progressivism into the universities anti-whiteism all of these things and how it's coming back to bite them where you know you see tens of thousands of people marching in london Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you know, it's like I know that my friends in England want those people to get the hell out. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, what I tell them is, is, well, if you want to get if you want to be able to get those people out of your country, deport them and put them back to wherever they are, there's a certain influence that you're going to have to get rid of first, probably. Because they're the ones pushing it, and they're the ones who pushed the first ships into England um, with people who were radically different than English in the nineteen in the late nineteen forties. Mm -hmm. So it's, and then you look in this country, and it's like, wow, the college campuses they they become anti-Semitic, and it's like, wait, they look at they look at Israel and they see white people, yeah, and you've been teaching them to hate white people for decades now well what did you think you didn't think this was going to come back to bite you at some point yeah and none of these old billionaires that are giving money to the ivy league schools cared about that until the, uh the the these golems that they had sent into these universities started uh, protesting israel and, and, and jewish power now it's an issue now dei is on the chopping block for the first time michelle gay is getting criticized <laughs> in her life as a black female as a bipoc she never 
you know, female BIPOC, she never would have com- faced any criticism or any, 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 any scrutiny. Now they're calling her a plagiarist and that this might become grounds for her removal. Since when does plagiarism matter? Uh, you know, we, Martin Luther King, that doesn't matter with him, <laughs> you know, but now it matters because she wasn't, she has, she's not sufficiently enthusiastic uh, about Israel and Zionism and Jews. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, not, sure. I'm not even critical. She's just not sufficiently enthusiastic about it. Right. That's right. <laughs> and that that's something that um that I noticed that people who, um you know, haven't been noticing, you know, and reading about this stuff for as long as I have. um But it's one of the first things that they started noticing after this was that if you it wasn't like you were like, oh, you know, Israel can do whatever, you know, Israel can take care of this. No, it was like, no, you have to cheerlead them. If you don't cheerlead them, you're anti-Semitic. Well, yeah, if you're 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 condemning Israel's policies uh, towards the Palestinians, the bombing, you know, the uh, the savage bombing, the, the 75 years of humiliation, and that offends some Jew at NYU or or MIT or Harvard, they're calling that harassment, anti-Semitism. Well, wait, 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 wait a second. Theoretically, that shouldn't bother you because you're an American first, right? So why I'm I'm criticizing a foreign government? Oh, so it does matter. <laughs> well, well, in that case, then then I have to look at you differently as well. It's the same way that when Senator Schumer declares that his homeland is Israel, I'm I am perfectly uh, on, on solid ground. It's a perfectly valid question. Me to question his loyalty because he's declaring Israel to be his homeland. If there was a a, a senator of Russian, back, uh, you know, uh, ethnicity, and he declared Russia to be his homeland, I w- People wouldn't have any problem questioning his loyalty right. if he, or he Chinese, especially Chinese, especially Chinese. And we right. found out that even when U.S. military recruiting second generation Chinese, how they become spies for China. <laughs> it's like, well, what do you think is going to why wouldn't you expect that? <laughs> well, remember when you used to get hit immediately with the with the anti-Semite label, if you mentioned the term dual loyalty? It, yes, I don't. I don't think it's even dual loyalty anymore. No, as Jerry Sobrin said, dual loyalty would be an improvement. Yeah, it's just yeah loyalty to Israel. And if if these politicians, with the exceptions of what Thomas Massey and uh, Rashida Tlaib, people like that, if they don't, um, if they're if all of these politicians are voting all of these things overwhelmingly pro-Israel. Do we have anyone who's pro-American at all? I mean, you wonder why Donald Trump is leading in the polls right now, Mm -hmm. even though he could go to jail, even though a lot of things could happen. You know, a lot of people believe that uh, that much of this rhetoric is designed so that somebody could take a shot at him. So do people understand why? Because Donald Trump, because I think most of most of middle America, working class America, um, you know, people who would consider themselves conservatives on the right, look at Donald Trump and in the least don't think that he hates them. Yeah. You know, when he goes there, he seems to be able to talk to them um, in in a way where he can relate to them, even though he's a billionaire from New York, you know, a billionaire Democrat from New York, he still seems to um, be able to relate to them. They see somebody in him that it's like, oh, this guy, you know, he actually cares about the country. 
well, who can you say that about anymore? And unfortunately, so many conservatives and people on the right and, you know, boomer cons and all these people, they, they just do not see that there's barely anybody in this country in elected office who care in national office who cares about the country anymore. They're all focused on this one strip of land you know, in the Levant. And I mean, if it got overrun tomorrow, I'd probably be upset because I want, I want a place for them to go. Um, <laughs> when we, when, when some of this stuff finally starts coming to a head, but I don't, no wonder America, no wonder Donald Trump, who hasn't seen a debate stage, who, you know, just goes to his little rallies and everything, and is completely ignored by the media, except to say that he should be in jail or worse. No wonder he's, and, and, and the funny thing is, is that he has he has just as huge ties to Israel as everyone else. It just mm-hmm. doesn't seem like you know, it, like Joe Sobrin said, dual loyalty would be an improvement at this point. Well, one thing is he gets over this exaggerated, uh, you know, hyper rhetoric, this overwrought rhetoric about anti-Semitism, when the fact that the media all the that's all the media is talking about, you know, about explosion anti-Semitism and Israel and. Uh, unanimous uh, resolutions on, on on Capitol Hill about support for Israel, sending billions of dollars to Israel. Take that all into account. How can you say that anti-Semitism is a problem? If anything, the problem is philo-Semitism because there's, there isn't sufficient criticism of our relationship, of our uh, you know so-called alliance, our relationship with Israel. If when you talk to people who aren't Christians especially young people and young men, so many of their arguments are that it's a wimpy religion. It it, it, it causes people to become de-radicalized, <laughs> love everyone and everything. I mean, what better witness is there than for a bunch of Christians to go into that Iowa State house and tear that thing down, take it out into the street and pulverize it to dust? Mm-hmm. And say we're doing this in the name of Jesus Christ, because this is his en- because this represents his enemy. And I mean, I think pe- you know what do the kids say today? That would be super based. Mm-hmm. And but it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because you know the united states is basically a protestant nation much of that na- much of that protestantism is evangelical and they don't have that in them it's also the function of the first amendment itself which neuters religion it's sort of right. a free, it imposes a freemasonic idea of indifferentism meaning that we're all faiths are the same we can practice which good, speaks to the you know the american experiment itself and we're, what we're seeing some what we're seeing right now is sort of the reductio ad absurdum of, of america playing out this is the end liberalism liberal liberalism's end game here well, you know what edward bernays said in the engineering yeah. of consent from 1947 1948 can't remember the exact year um in the very first paragraph he said the greatest tool of the social engineer and the propagandist is the first amendment of the united states mm-hmm. because it allows them to have the free speech to persuade that's Without what, any authority to say what's right and wrong, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. And they'll, you know, and if Christians are just going to stand up and go, well, you know, we need to get behind this first amendment because it gives free speech and no one should be, you know, perish the thought of people being um, in. Uh, what if, what if bad people take control of the means of communication and entertainment and advertising? That's just the, that's what happens if you live in a free society. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I, I mean, and perish the thought that you may be the one who would do that, would want to do that. Perish the thought that, you know, you, you look at like the, you had this Washington Post article talking about Donald Trump and how they're scared of how dictatorial Donald Trump is going to be. And it's like, well, of course, you're scared that he's going to be a dictator. You've set up the government that the president can become a dictator. Mm hmm. And that's what you've been doing for the past three years. I mean, I remember I, I'm I, I, I haven't lost my mind enough to remember by to have forgotten Biden's red speech in front of, you know, with, with a couple Marines standing there side by, you know, side by side protecting him. Um, sure. Well, maybe the next guy who gets in there, if he's not part of the, you know, the club, the the is not completely sold out to the gay the global american empire and maybe he'll decide he wants to reward his friends and punish his enemies too and what if those enemies happen to be journalists well well if they don't want if they don't play by the rules and they they uh you know corrupt the judicial process the legal process the criminal justice system and uh, they openly talk about, you know, uh, engaging in um, you, uh, coordinating with uh, uh, with uh, social media, big tech to uh, curate and control the message and suppress information and also uh, declare people enemies, uh, you know, uh, indict people for questioning election results. Anti-Semites. Uh, that, Don't forget anti-Semites. Anti-Semites. Well, if you can go after anti-Semites, you can all, if you just if you take power, can't you go after philo-Semites? Well, well, Tim, you see the coin flips, right? <laughs> you see, Tim, those Philo Semites—they're just good people who love their neighbor, mm -hmm. and that's very Christian. Are you? Are you not a good Christian, Tim? <laughs> that's right, and you got to love everybody. And as uh, Norman Lear taught us, the people of American Way in his ads back in the eighties was it just because Christians hold certain political beliefs, they can still be good Christians, but hold certain political beliefs. Yeah. On certain issues, so it's all about the same, and it's all about our constitution. And he used to refer to it as our, you know, my Declaration of Independence, my Constitution, and all that. You know, he actually bought a copy of it. He spent eight million million dollars to buy an original copy of the Declaration of Independence and toured the country with it. So you had this Jewish guy touring the country, <laughs> telling Americans what America is. That's that's Norman Lear. Yeah, yeah it's. Did you um? Yeah, I mean, get, I did media get this idea of, of control of the media. Of course, you know, Hollywood, the media officers has always been uh, uh, disproportionately controlled by the Jews. They they control the messaging in these things, you know. Uh, the, so again, if we if we have the First Amendment, but the this but the means of communication, the newspapers, you know, the the networks, uh, uh, even social media is controlled by commerce from the ADL. Uh, what good is the First Amendment? Because you know it's freedom of reach isn't freedom. Oh, sorry, freedom of speech is not freedom of reach, as they say, right? So we well, don't the, even have that effectively. The, the ADL is just a small nonprofit. 
I don't know. I don't know why you're worried about them. Small. They don't represent any powerful people. Yeah, they they've never. (laughs) No one has ever been punished for saying something anti-Semitic, and their punish part of their punishment was to write a check to the ADL. That's never happened. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen to Kyrie Irving. (laughs) That's an anti-Semitic lie if you bring that up. Yeah, or Mel Gibson. Yeah, I mean it's Kanye. Kanye, who? Who? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> once, you, you know, once you see it, and, and that's that's the thing about it, is once you see it, once you see the kind of control that you know this small group has over basically what people would say is our American freedom. And I would put quotes around that. You know, any smart person would put quotes around that at this point. You just have to ask yourself why. You just have to ask yourself, how is this? How is it allowed to happen? How is, when did this happen? And is, you know, a, is something that happened during a war a reason why you can't question it? And why they have to have so much leeway to do whatever they want. I mean, if you grant the six million number and say that it was yes, it was a systematic genocide. I mean, they're not the only group that has suffered genocide in history. Why is there no Armenian, you know, lobby in the United States that um, trying taking over? Um, t- taking over newspapers, taking over TV stations, taking over social media, having these uh, small nonprofits out there policing speech. Um, yeah, why, why aren't there sixteen resolutions on behalf of Armenia? Yeah, Armenia. yeah. what what? Ha- I mean, are the Armenians not worth anything? Are they you know, or the, you know, the Holodomor, which is the you know the one genocide uh, you know, that that one you're allowed to deny. Well, that just didn't happen. That didn't happen at all. I know people who've said that. Mm-hmm. They, they said, that, well, that didn't happen. So, you know, you, you can't equivocate and, and compare that to uh, what happened in, you know, on the East, on the Eastern Front and in, um, in Germany and Poland um, during World War II. It just, you can't, it's, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Of course it's not. Was who perpetrated it? Who per- who were the executioners? Who were the ones who 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 decided? Well, they're not going to get any grain. Well, who were the Bolsheviks? Who who carried out the pogroms? The the late nineteenth and early twentieth century pogroms. In oh, by the way, yeah. There was barely any Jews killed in those. A whole lot of Orthodox Christians killed in those. The script on that one's been flipped completely. I'm going to be doing an episode on that really soon. Yeah. Then they came to America with those grievances. Yeah. Yeah. And they they controlled they controlled media. They had already controlled media at that point, so they got to print that you know all this many Jews got killed in the pogrom in Odessa in 1905. Uh huh. Let's go back. Let's really go back and look at that. Let's see what Solzhenitsyn has to say about that. 
what how that happened. Oh, do you trust Solzhenitsyn? Are we going to throw him away now? Because he he has a different story. Because others, because if you go back to original sources from back then, people look been, been able to go. Oh yeah, that's not what happened at all. These are just lies, so that a certain group could take over a country in 1917. <sighs> but that's all anti-Semitism, so. Mm-hmm. Well, the idea was um, originally, at least in Europe, is they identified Jews as an alien group that could not be permitted access to, you know, uh, the uh, controlling heights of society. So there were restrictions that were imposed, and all those collapsed in the, in the early 19th century. And with the rise of liberalism, uh, you had this rise of Jewish influence in the West, particularly in, in the 20th century. Um, uh, and that followed along with you know, te- technological advancements and uh, innovations, electronic media, Hollywood, radio, uh, television, you know, and then, you know, amplified rock music. So you had, a, you know, not not just a, um, uh, you had f- uh, financial, cultural, then political power. Uh, uh, and you can see the... Um, one is struck, and one is, is <laughs> you can't blame someone for being curious. Marking, uh, noticing that the uh, the uh, the West uh, moral decline follows along with Jewish ascendancy and Jewish influence in the West. And when you, follow, you look at things like the authoritarian personality and the writings of uh, Herbert Marcuse or Wilhelm Reich, and how the how you undermine society, you do it through the exploitation of eros. And that obviously using entertainment, particularly Hollywood and music, was very effective in achieving that. And, you know, so you demoralize the host society and you atomize it and you, and you sort of deracinate it. These are very vulnerable for, for subversion. And that's what the West has been. It's been very vulnerable just because it's been liberal since the 19th century. And those traditional or historical restrictions that were imposed upon the Jews in Christian society. However, you know, they're condemned. Or they've been pathologized. Um, perhaps there was a reason why these things existed. And we're finding out now. Because when they get in, they take over. Ted Hesburgh said that in Notre Dame. He was a liberal priest. <laughs> yes. He let the Jews in, they take over. And that's, I'll know it sounds bigoted. It sounds retrograde and, 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 um, and anti-Semitic, uh, but it's true. So where do you go with that if it's true? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the question, isn't it? It's the question is, is that if the West has been subverted and if especially the United States has been subverted, you know, by a foreign influence that goes against the the founding values of, you know, the values of the founding stock of the United States. What do you do about it? You know, and when you start at when you start asking those questions, that's when you you get pulled in front of Congress like a um, a president, <laughs> you know, the president of an Ivy League school, and it's like, do you want? Are you calling for genocide? It's like, well, how about I'm just calling for a an ethno state for myself and my people just like the Jews have 
How come I can't have that? How, how, come, how come no one else is allowed to have that except them? Why is Japan being basically forced at gunpoint to take in refugees from Somalia? And then, oh, what happens? You start having gang rapes in, in Japan. Yeah, I think the ambassador's Rahm Emanuel. Yeah. <laughs> U.S. ambassador's Rahm Emanuel. He's Mormon, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. Uh, why why are you not because you're a racist because you're a racist if you want an ethno state for you and your people then why aren't the jews racists was it that thing that happened in the 40s that they get a pass to be able to do things that other people that other peoples who want to do it aren't allowed to do and if you do try to do it you know you get you know you get randy weaver treatment or you just basically what you get depersoned, debanked. I mean, wh- why? That's the question that needs to be. I, I think that that is the most important, one of the most important questions that needs to be asked that people should be asking is if they can have their own land that you have to take a blood test to join, um, to, to become a member of, yeah, they have their own little club. Their own little land. You have to take a blood test to become a member of it. So, you know, basically you're you've based your whole society upon blood and soil. Is that blood and soil for me, but not for thee? Is that the attitude? I think it is. And then people should be asking why. Yeah, I think we're facing again. It's I think it was um, Zeren Lai, the Chinese communist revolutionary, was Mao's one of Mao's right hand men. I asked him, oh, "What, what was the, what was the effect of the French Revolution?" Huh. And he said, "It's too early to tell." <laughs> And that was 1970, I think. You know, um, in in 1891, the Catholic Church uh, produced a magazine called Civita Catholica, the um, Catholic Civilization. I think the Jesuits published it, and uh, and they were they were they were reflecting on 100 years of the French Revolution, and it concluded that any country which abandons Catholic faith and turns from God's law, as France did in 1789, will end up being ruled by Jews. Because, according to the magazine, in effect, modern principles or so-called rights of men were invented by Jews in order to cause uh, the people or the governments to divest themselves of their defensive uh, arms against Judaism. Um and to multiply the offensive arms uh, redounding to the latter's advantage. This is, um, where am I quoting here from? Okay, that's from the, is that from the quote? Yeah, I guess quote from the magazine. I'm sorry, I don't want to give it a proper attribution. Once having acquired absolute civil liberty and equality in every sphere with Christians and the nations, the dam which previously held back the Hebrews was open for them. And in a short time, like devastating torrent, they penetrated and cunningly took over everything, gold, trade, the stock market, highest appointments in political administration, in the army, in the diplomacy, 
public education, the press, everything fell into the hands or into the hands of those who were inevitably and inevitably depending upon them. That's France, 1891. What doesn't it sound awfully like our country now? You know, the Enlightenment spawned two revolutions, one in America and one in France. I think most even court historians will agree upon that. They won't agree upon who won, though, which one became the most influential. And anyone who believes that the American Revolution is more influential at this point than the French Revolution just isn't paying attention. So it's too early to tell. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I I don't think it's I don't think it's too early to tell anymore. (laughs) I think it's very clear that the French Revolution won out. And, Mm. you know, the Jacobins. Yeah. Many people may ask, um, why would the Catholic Church worry about that? Why would the Catholic Church in 1891 be writing about, you know, Jewish ascendancy? In 1891, think about that. Yeah. Why would they be doing that? Because they're very well aware of their history, of the history of the last 1800 years, 1891 years. There was a piece I ran into that, I mean, where is this? I can find this. It was written um, by Laurent Guerniel, translated by Kevin Barrett. And the title, Israel, a Psychopathic Nation. (laughs) And I highlight, so you can bear with me, it goes, um, according to one expert, one on political uh, psychopathy, Andrew Lebazewski, the answer is yes. Whole nations, even international political movements, can exhibit behavior that parallels that of psychopathic individuals. Lebojewski, a Polish psychiatrist, diagnosed um, psychopathic uh, symptoms among the communist era leadership. He argued that the individuals with personality disorders, especially psychopathy, tend to gravitate to positions of power, which can set off a contagion in which the entire regime takes on psychopathic character- characteristics. In a brand new article translated and published here for the first time, Laurent Grignot argues that Israel and the international Zionist movement surrounding and empowering it is a textbook case of political psychopathy. Naturally, the Zionist psychopaths, who always have to be 100% right, and cannot accept the slightest bit of criticism, will not respond well to this article. Their reaction will offer yet another item of evidence that Dr. Guignot's thesis is correct, and I've highlighted some parts of it. Um, he makes an interesting point. He says, Judeophobia is a psychosis, a psychosis it is hereditary and it, and as a disease transmitted for 2000 years it's incurable leo pinsker uh, auto emancipation 1882 he wrote that jewishness is a notoriously ambivalent notion on one hand judaism is a religion on the other hand jews are a people or an ethnic group or a race it all depends on the circumstances but in both cases jewishness may legitimately be subjected to psychological analysis well turnabout's fair play right judaism is a religion it may even turn and we may turn to freud who addressed the relationship between religion and neurosis in three books, Totem and Taboo, Civilization and Its Discontents, and The Future of an Illusion, in which he calls religion, referring mainly to Catholicism, as a universal obsessional neurosis of humanity. Fair enough, or whatever. That's his view. If conversely the Jews are a people, then we can also base our analysis on on common sense, which admits that every people has a national character forged by history or a collective memory, which is to say its own representation of its history. 
Concerning the character of the Jewish nation, there is no shortage of opinions from Jewish intellectuals. The hypothesis presented in this paper can be summarized as follows. The Jewish nation as a state, but also as an organized world community, acts collectively towards other nations and other human communities in a way a psychopath acts <laughs> towards its fellow men. I will first describe psychopathy as a cognitive and behavioral structure and show how the ideology and methods of the chosen people are related to it. It goes without saying that I do not intend to imply that Jews are psychopaths, but instead that they are the first victims of a mental straitjacket imposed by their elites, who through variable intellectual terrorism terrorism make, a, make them, or to the extent that they comply, instruments of the collective psychopathy of Israel. Yeah, I understand. Someone has sent me a message that you know, there are um, there are good Jews and bad Jews. I knew many good Jews. Uh, um, and I said, well, the way it works is collectively, Jews are bad. Individually, they can be good. The converse is true with Christians, or particularly Catholicism, where collectively, Christians and Catholics are good, as individually, they can be bad. And that's the problem as a, as a collective. There's a there's a again nature or behavior to them. Psychopathy is a syndrome of traits that classified among personality disorders. Uh, uh, the most striking trait of a psychopath are a lack of empathy and conscience. Other traits are common to narcissism. Psychopaths have a grand vision of their own importance. In their minds, everything is owed to them because they are exceptional, chosen people, if you will. They are never wrong, and fairs are always fault of others. They often show megalomania megalomania, and some learn to hide their arrogance under false modesty. If the psychopath pretends to rise to the universal level, it's because he confuses it with his personal interests and the truth with uh, with his own opinions. However, the psychopath is distinguished from a simple narcissist by his appetite for power, which makes him more destructive. Moreover, his capacity for harm is not inhibited by any scruples or remorse. He is incapable of feeling guilt. Although he imagines himself a hero, in some cases looks like a hero, the psychopath is on human spectrum, the polar opposite of the hero who sacrifices himself for his community. He will not hesitate to sacrifice the people around him. When he knows he has lost, he consoles himself by causing as many people as possible to fall. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, the Samson option. Right. <laughs> uh, basically, the psychopath receives others as objects. He has a mechanical view of people as in human relationships and in, in some ways as himself as well. Although devoid of conscience, he often has a keen perception of the law. <laughs> he is as a mechanic of a social engine overestimates. He has not internalized moral law in the sense that is, is not socialized, but he has mastered the rules of the game cheats without qualms. If he can, for the same reason, the psychopath must always develop an a moderate taste from he idolizes it as a, the epitome of power, the very essence of the social. He thinks that people can be bought and sold like things, and often proves him. Uh, and life often proves him right. The diagnostic criteria for psych psychopathy also includes pathological lying, deception, cunning, manipulative behavior. The psych psychopath feels only a very superficial emotions and has no feelings for anyone, but has developed a great ability to deceive. He can be charming to the point of being charismatic. Uh, uh, let's see here. He is uh, he is not psychotic and cannot be regarded as maladapted in social life. On the contrary, he is in a certain sense over-adjusted. That is why the real mystery, for the Darwinian point of view, is is not the existence. Um, so basically, um, those characteristics. Obviously, the point of the is he's, the the characteristics that may lead to a diagnosis of psychopathy can be applied generally to the organized Jewish community. I know I read a lot there, but yeah, 
I was um I was talking with a friend of mine this weekend who's Jewish and we were you know I was basically asking him I was like at what age did your parents start telling you that everyone who isn't Jewish wants to kill you mm-hmm. and that's the question I asked I mean because my assumption now is is that that's how every Jew is raised and he said oh from the youngest age he goes when he goes, no one in my school knew I was Jewish until I was 12 years old. And when I was being bad mitzvah, mitzvah, because my mom was a teacher, she was going to invite students. And I was like, what are you? They're going to kill me. These kids are going to kill me because they're going to find out that I'm that I'm Jewish because of this bad mitzvah thing. And obviously, he didn't get killed or anything like that. This is how they're raised. They're raised. This is a, a people that are raised to believe that everyone is out to kill them, yet they're all special little boys and girls. God's chosen people, everything. It and, is, they must, and they must behave in ways that make people want to. <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is the perfect yeah. recipe for narcissism. Yeah. And not only individual narcissism, but group narcissism. And then you and have, we, yeah, and we then, see that in, in their complaints and in their overwrought rhetoric and their yeah. grievances and their 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 victim mentality, yeah, and how they can come off as psychopaths by their reaction to somebody attacking Israel and killing nine hundred, you know, thousand, however many people died on that day, and we still don't know how many Hamas killed and actually how many the IDF killed. Um, they then, as the paper you were just reading from describes, there's a certain psychopathy that happens where now everyone, everyone in the vicinity of where that happened needs to be killed and flattened. I mean, turn to glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. How do you, how do you let, somebody who has or let a group of people who has that attitude who has that reaction to adversity you know and yes i mean every group has been attacked and and murdered and crossed over a a border and had people killed how do you let them in charge of anything in your land how do you how do you let them how do you let them near the, the labors of power I mean, I know these are questions that are. It's like I, these are tough questions, and they sound "quote unquote" anti-Semitic. Yeah, but if that's who, if that's the way they react, I mean, would you? I, I mean, if somebody, if the day after nine eleven, we just sent a bunch of bombers over. It's like okay, we think it was you know. Uh, we found a Saudi passport and we just started bombing Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and you know, all of these, there was ca- collateral damage everywhere. It's just, oh, we just got to kill this whole, kill everyone. You think people in the, you think people in this country would be like, no, that's the wrong thing to do. Let's figure out who did it first. Sure. Hamas said that they did it. They also retreated back and hid 
Mm-hmm. And now we're just going to kill everybody until we. And what if you don't get them? And then you see these pictures of these guys being allegedly let out of tunnels in their underwear and everything. I don't know why they have to be in their underwear other than, I mean, because it seems so perverted, but you know, porn industry, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I know that those are, hum, hum, you, you know, oh, we got them all. Okay. You got them all. Then get the, get the hell out of the, get the hell out of Gaza. Mm-hmm. Are they all Hamas? Who the hell knows? You don't know. There guys, there were guys who spent ten years in Gitmo, who were farmers, not guilty of anything. You don't know. What are you celebrating? Don't celebrate until you're friggin' done. But they have to celebrate it, and they're like, "We got them. We you didn't get anyone." I mean, I just don't get. I don't see people want to talk about civilization that we have a civilization in order to have a civilization. We have to see, we have to have civilized people. I didn't see anyone acting civilized. All I saw was people who were like, well, they did this to us. So we got to do it a hundred, a thousand times more to them. Okay. Maybe. But what, what does that have to do with this country? Yeah, and the United States has to be complicit in it. Yeah, why do I? Why do we get to take? Why, why do Americans get to take the blame for this? Get to be on the hook for this too? Why? Why are we paying for it? Why are we going to get blamed when you're just killing random people and kids and all these things? Why? Of course, you're surrounded by enemies. You just created get them. the hell. Get yeah. the hell out. I mean, you have your own land. You wanted your own land. Whenever somebody commits a crime here or, you know, rapes a child, they escape there and they get, you go, just go. Go, leave it. We we take care of ourselves. Yeah, Jonathan Pollard goes there. He gets pardoned and released by Trump. And he goes to Israel and tells Jews in America to spy like he did. Yeah. for Israel. Yeah. And there was a there was a video of a, a a woman at Harvard yesterday saying the same exact thing. Saying the job of the Jew in the United States is to promote Israel, is to do everything they can for Israel, is to serve Israel. Okay. Now, if this was just some homeless lady on the street saying this, I'd be like, all right, you know, she's homeless, she's probably mentally ill. This is a woman who's a chair at Harvard, who's probably emotionally and mentally ill, but still, this is a coming from a place of influence. Mm -hmm. That is an elite university. What is our, I mean, if we let them just walk all over us. She's teaching people who go to work at the state department. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, the treasury department and, um, that's the function of the diaspora is to m- make sure other countries work at or put at the service of Israel. I think so. When that when that Polish member of the Shem, ext- by the way, he didn't he just extinguished it. 
Right. He, he didn't knock um, it over or anything. Uh, some uh, woman he, did get up. Some woman did get up in his face and try and stop him, and he blasted her in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not like he went into a, you know, he went to a, a synagogue and, and a, you know, shot four dozen people, and no. then, then it's called a hero, like that happens in Israel. Um, but the, um, the, um, oh, what well, well, point I was making? Oh, I mean. One of the things he said was they're trying to make Poland a Jewish state. Now he, I assume he said that in Polish. So how was that translated? What did he mean by that? What he meant by that was having the Polish government being subverted by Jewish influence and by the very techniques that they've subverted every government in the West, including the United States. So it effectively becomes a Jewish state, like the U.S. government has become, because that's. When you have the State Department, when you have the Treasury Department, when you have Department of Homeland Security, when you have the Pentagon, you know, uh, Central Intelligence Agency, uh, all doing the bidding of Israel, you effectively have a Jewish state in the United States. When you have, uh, you know, an obsequious Congress passing one unanimous motion after another, forking over billions and billions of borrowed money, you know, from the bankers, many of whom probably identify with Israel as, as citizens. Uh, uh, they're literally printing up the money and charging interest on the money to, to, to fork over to Israel and collecting the interest on it. That's how the, our money system works. That's how our debt-based money system works. How perverse that is. Uh, people have, you know, don't think about it. But that's probably what that guy meant. When he, when he means Jewish, he talks about the infiltration of LGBTQ and perversion, all that. He properly identifies that as, 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 uh, as, as being uh, a Jewish thing. Jewish, uh, you know, de- de- degenerates are being promoted under the guise of liberalism. You know, the problem is that here in the West, people, many people even who decry or lament degeneracy and cultural decline and, and, and immorality, uh, they they they're unwilling to identify the, the, the primary agents promoting it. You know, they'll they'll blame secular radicals or secular humanism and liberalism and these things, uh, communism. You know, even they even go as far as the cultural Marxism, but they won't name the you know uh, the Jewish influence behind it. Yeah, somebody um, that web the Twitter account end wokeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody had posted up uh, under it had used one of their screenshot one of their tweets and put next to it just end wokeness all capital letters in those because that's another one of those accounts. It's like, it's not going to say who's, who's promoting this. Mm-hmm. Where's it coming from? It's like libs of TikTok. Do you think libs of TikTok, who's been supporting Israel all throughout this whole thing? Do you, do you, is, is this person on your side? Do you realize that the the funniest thing that you can find out about libs of TikTok is that this is a, an account that is completely against wokeness. Okay, who's it run by? Who was it owned by? I think I think now I think the um, uh, it might be the um, that parody parody account um, place the the Babylon B may have yeah. that, may have control of that account now but i mean the woman who started that account i'm <laughs> i'm friend or foe well when israel when israel got attacked 
we found out who who her loyalty it goes to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pointing. Well, again, she's an American. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Does she necessarily take the, the side of Israel in this conflict? Yeah. I mean, they cannot mm. help it. You know, it's like you know, when I see what's happening in Spain right now. You know, they people getting arrested for saying the rosary in public and um, a bunch of marches going on. The Vox part, one of the members of the Vox Party, leaders of the Vox Party, just got shot in the face. I'm, you know, think about my heritage and I'm like, damn, that, you know, I wish things could be better there. I'm not calling for, I don't want the United States to get involved and go there. And, you know, it's like, if, if I wanted to do that, I'd just go. You know, I don't have dual loyalty, mm-hmm. you know, and when then, when you finally find out when something like October 7th happens, you find out that it's not dual loyalty. It's singular. They don't have any loyalty to this country. All this country is to so many of them is what this country can do for Israel. That's it. That's it. They want, I mean, right from the start, say we need American troops here. You need American troops. You need Americans. You need the descendants of founding stock to go and fight your wars for you, you quote unquote high IQ, overly successful, wealthy. You need what well, you need us. Yeah, well, I'm not founding stock, but you need founding stock. You need citizens like myself to go fight your war for you. Why? You don't want to do it yourself. Or are you just a leech on this country? Yeah, yeah, that, and that's the relationship. Let the, let the listener make up their mind what what mm-hmm. it is. I, I I assume that many will be listening to this and just go, "It's just basic anti-Semitism." It's the anti-Semitism that the ADL is warning about. It's three thousand percent up. Well, they've come out and they openly said that the the sensibilities or feelings of individual Jews in college campuses are more important than the First Amendment or the free speech or free speech. Well, yeah, I mean, they, yeah. Yeah. What about my sensibilities, my feelings? How come nothing was, my feelings weren't, weren't considered when I had to endure the summer of 2020 and all the George Floyd nonsense and all the rhetoric, all the anti white rhetoric, all the anti Christian rhetoric I hear? How about my sensibilities when Rob Reiner produces a, um, a documentary accusing you know people uh, 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 you know uh, who have Christian values of promoting you know Christian nationalism, the fascism, being anti-American? What about my feelings? What about I mean, what about someone like me who's basically moved out into the middle of nowhere to get away from the cities and the suburbs that they've created? I mean, I'd lo- I wouldn't mind living close to a close to a city. I wouldn't mind living in you know, ten you know, ten twenty minutes outside of a of a big city where you can get you have access to a lot of things. You also have access to the levers of power. So that's where most of the power real lies. But why would I want to do that? 
why would I want to subject myself? Why would I want to subject my wife to those? So what that's become. Yeah. And again, it's just a question. If there's an order, there's, there's a group of people who identify, you know, organize on their ethnic, ethnic lines and identify particular interest or, you know, or an agenda based on ethnic lines, and then they have to be uh, also be criticized collectively as well uh, based on that identity. If you wanted, but if you want, yeah. you or I wanted to organize along, uh, you know, uh, ethnic lines or Catholic lines, things like that, it's not allowed, Tim. It's not. It's only for them. They and and privilege. and the criticism they hear, which they call anti-Semitism, it never. They never reflect on it. Maybe this is warranted criticism. Maybe it's, you know, negative feedback is important to any relationship. <laughs> uh, yeah, but they don't, again, if, but then if you control the media and control finance, uh, you don't have to, at least you don't feel you have to, because then you can just spin everything you want, you know, in the way you want. You can, you can buy congressmen and, and tell them to have hearings. They can harangue, you know, addled, Airheaded Ivy League uh, school, uh, university presidents, you know, because they don't want people of substance in those positions. People, a uh, uh, men of substance, would have kicked back a little bit, would have had something to say, meaningful. Uh, but so they want, you know, they want airheads in these positions. They don't want universities to educate. They don't want governments to represent. You know, they don't want media to inform, and uh, they 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 want they want to control it all. It goes back to that article that I read about about psychopathy. It's all complete. It's dominance. And they, the moment they don't get 100% their way, they're the victim. You know, you don't think there's any room for criticism how Israel has conducted itself in the past 75 years? Really? It's anti Semitism. It's, it's like it's pathological hatred to be critical of it. You don't think anything the Jews have done, how they behaved in the United States and other countries in the past. You know, since the Enlightenment or since you know, since the 19th century, or, or is worthy of any criticism? You're always the victim, really. <laughs> is that a reasonable position? When I mean, you have that, many, oh, there's nothing wrong with American entertainment and movies. There's nothing wrong with it. And who produces it? You dominate it. You brag about dominating it, and, the, and so to, to take to take to be critical of its influence of the you know of the substance, its material. That makes you an anti- you're just a crazed anti-Semite when they're promoting all the manner of degeneracy and abortion. It destroys communities, destroys people's lives, causes the you know basically the uh, the society just to dissolve. And and there's no room for criticism there. You're promoting homosexuality. There's no room for criticism there. You're openly promoting homosexuality. They're calling me immoral for opposing that when you when you when you use the media to infect the minds of children, social media. You create social media to destroy lives. I'm an anti-Semite for pointing that out. And then you turn around and, and shut down free speech, what little of it remains in our society and social media. And I'm I'm the I'm the problem. I'm willing to debate you. I'm willing to engage you in debate in these things. You're supposed to have higher uh, verbal IQ. Debate me then. Don't shut me down. You know. I will. Um, uh, I'll. I'll close on this, Tim. I don't talk about this very often, but um, the first high school that I went to, I went to a very, very prestigious prep school. Um, I got kicked out. I kicked out for behavior. When my parents came in, 
they didn't accuse the school of you know not understanding me or um you know not understanding my behavior they didn't even try to convince them that they needed to change the rules that my behavior need my behavior um the new the, there should be new rules that made my behavior okay they saw that i was in the wrong they examined it and they said yep we understand exactly why you're doing this to our son i've you're when have we ever seen when have we ever seen that when it comes to their behavior mm-hmm. they get kicked out of a country or asked to leave a country or be told convert to catholicism or get out and no one asks why two two civilizations a thousand miles apart, a thousand a thousand years apart, look upon the same group and say we can't have them here, and no one asks why. Why? Mm-hmm. That's I mean, I was, when it comes to this group, that's all I bet. Why? Why? always complaining about everything that's always happened to you. And then when you ask why, you get called an anti-Semite. Maybe that's what all of this rise in quote-unquote anti-Semitism is. People are asking, well, I mean, why did Hamas do this? Mm -hmm. You're an anti-Semite for asking that. How do you talk, how do you bring in context for history? Yeah. That's right. Context. That's what got the uh, uh, President McGill in trouble. She said, well, what context or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> what's the context of all this? You're yeah. an anti-Semite. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's uh, where we are. And again, I, think it's, I think it's so obvious now. That I think they're shooting themselves in the foot with this. I, I, I mean, I know the media it's hard to tell because the media's not going to cover it there in there's certainly the political classes and but certainly a lot of people are rolling their eyes and asking you know why why are we putting up with this it's a little over the top now well i think that one thing that we can hope for because it just keeps shifting that window is for it to escalate how about this tell them to take your money and like elon musk said uh you know, f yeah. off. Yeah. Um, Gfy. I know they don't. They don't. They don't understand that. But if you look, I was looking. Now I know something like Harvard. The endowment that Harvard has, they could literally pay for everyone's undergrad tuition for just a, a fraction, the value of their of their. Um, oh yeah, they could. They could have free tuition. I think on mm-hmm. their endowment for, uh, with the roles the way they are right now for fifty, sixty years. Hmm. Yeah. But I, I just don't think it should be tolerated for billionaires to tell universities to shut down free speech or we're taking our money. These universities are tax-free hedge funds anyway. They have no business operating the way they're operating anyway. Yeah, Harvard um, has a 50 – annual tuition is $56,000. 
Free tuition would cost them $405 million a year. Uh, their endowment is $51 billion, so it's 0.0079% of their endowment for annual tuition. Similar, uh, I guess, uh, numbers exist for Yale, even Notre Dame. Um, Maybe one of these days we can have a conversation about why we even have billionaires. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> behind every great fortune lies a crime. As someone once said, <laughs> how did they become billionaires? Is it compound interest? <laughs> so, so, okay. Well, Pete, thanks for coming back on the show. Of course. Always a pleasure. I'll let you go. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Tim. I know. The- <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas. It's- <laughs> you take care of yourself, Tim. Thank you very so- much for the invite again. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye. The converse is true with Christians, or particularly Catholicism, where collectively Christians and Catholics are good, as individually they can be bad. And that's the problem. As a, as a collective, there's, a, there's a, again, nature or behavior to them. Psychopathy is a syndrome of traits of classified among personality disorders. Uh, uh, the most striking trait of a psychopath, a lack of empathy and conscience. Other traits are common to narcissism. Psychopaths have a grand vision of their own importance. In their minds, everything is owed to them because they are exceptional, chosen people, if you will. They are never wrong, and fairs are always fault of others. They often show megalomania, megalomania, and some learn to hide their arrogance under false modesty. If the psychopath pretends to rise to the universal level, it's because he confuses it with his personal interests and the truth with, uh, with his own opinions. However, the psychopath is distinguished from a simple narcissist by his appetite for power, which makes him more destructive. Moreover, his capacity for harm is not inhibited by any scruples or remorse. He is incapable of feeling guilt. Although he imagines himself a hero, in some cases looks like a hero, the psychopath is on human spectrum, the polar opposite of the hero who sacrifices himself for his community. He will not hesitate to sacrifice the people around him. When he knows he is lost, he consoles himself by causing as many people as possible to fall. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, the Samson option, right? <laughs> uh, basically, the psychopath receives others as objects. He has a mechanical view of people as in human relationships and in, in some ways as himself as well. Although devoid of conscience, he often has a keen perception of the law. <laughs> he is, as a mechanic of a social engine, overestimates. He has not internalized moral law in the sense that it's, it's not socialized, but he has mastered the rules the game cheats without qualms if he can. For the same reason, the psychopath must always develop an immoderate taste from he idolizes it as a, the epitome of power, the very essence of the social. He thinks that people can be bought and sold like things and often proves him, and life often proves him right. The diagnostic criteria for psychopathy also includes pathological lying, deception, cunning, manipulative behavior. The psychopath feels only a very superficial emotions and has no feelings for anyone, but has developed a great ability to deceive. He can be charming to the point of being charismatic. Uh, uh, let's see here. He is uh, he is not psychotic and cannot be regarded as maladapted in social life. On the contrary, he is in a certain sense over-adjusted. That is why the real mystery for the Darwinian point of view is, is not the existence. Um, so basically... Um, those characteristics, obviously, the point of the is he's, he's the the characteristics that may lead to a diagnosis of psychopathy can be applied generally to the organized Jewish community. I know I read a lot there, but yeah, 
I was um I was talking with a friend of mine this weekend who's Jewish and we were you know I was basically asking him I was like at what age did your parents start telling you that everyone who isn't Jewish wants to kill you mm-hmm. and that's the question I asked I mean because my assumption now is is that that's how every Jew is raised and he said oh from the youngest age he goes when he goes, no one in my school knew I was Jewish until I was 12 years old. And when I was being bat mitzvah, because my mom was a teacher, she was going to invite students. And I was like, what are you? They're going to kill me. These kids are going to kill me because they're going to find out that I'm that I'm Jewish because of this bat mitzvah thing. Obviously, he didn't get killed or anything like that. This is how they're raised. They're raised. This is a, a people that are raised to believe that everyone is out to kill them, yet they're all special little boys and girls. God's chosen people, everything. It and, is, they must, and they must behave in ways that make people want to. <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is the perfect yeah. recipe for narcissism. Yeah. And not only individual narcissism, but group narcissism. And then you and have, we, yeah, and we then, see that in, in, in their complaints and in their overwrought rhetoric and their yeah. grievances and their 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 victim mentality, yeah. And how they can come off as psychopaths by their reaction to somebody attacking Israel and killing nine hundred, you know, thousand, however many people died on that day, and we still don't know how many Hamas killed and actually how many the IDF killed. Um, they then, as the paper you were just reading from describes, there's a certain psychopathy that happens where now everyone, everyone in the vicinity of where that happened needs to be killed and flattened. I mean, turn to glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. How do you, how do you let, somebody who has or let a group of people who has that attitude who has that reaction to adversity you know and yes i mean every group has been attacked and and murdered and crossed over a a border and had people killed how do you let them in charge of anything in your land how do you how do you let them how do you let them near the, the labors of power I mean, I know these are questions that are. It's like I, these are tough questions, and they sound "quote unquote" anti-Semitic. Yeah, but if that's who, if that's the way they react, I mean, would you? I, I mean, if somebody, if the day after nine eleven, we just sent a bunch of bombers over. It's like okay, we think it was you know. Uh, we found a Saudi passport and we just started bombing Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and you know, all of these, there was ca- collateral damage everywhere. It's just, oh, we just got to kill this whole, kill everyone. You think people in the, you think people in this country would be like, no, that's the wrong thing to do. Let's figure out who did it first. Sure. Hamas said that they did it. They also retreated back and hid 
Mm-hmm. And now we're just going to kill everybody until we. And what if you don't get them? And then you see these pictures of these guys being allegedly let out of tunnels in their underwear and everything. I don't know why they have to be in their underwear other than, I mean, because it seems so perverted, but you know, porn industry, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I know that those are, hum, hum, you, you know, oh, we got them all. Okay. You got them all. Then get the, get the hell out of the, get the hell out of Gaza. Mm-hmm. Are they all Hamas? Who the hell knows? You don't know. There are guys, there were guys who spent 10 years in Gitmo who were farmers. Not guilty of anything. You don't know. What are you celebrating? Don't celebrate until you're friggin' done. But they have to celebrate it. And they're like, we got them. We, you didn't get anyone. I mean, I just don't get... I don't see people want to talk about civilization that we have a civilization in order to have a civilization. We have to see, we have to have civilized people. I didn't see anyone acting civilized. All I saw was people who were like, well, they did this to us. So we got to do it a hundred, a thousand times more to them. Okay. Maybe. What what does that have to do with this country? Yeah, and the United States has to be complicit in it. Yeah, why do I? Why do we get to take? Why, why do Americans get to take the blame for this? Get to be on the hook for this too? Why why are we paying for it? Why are we going to get blamed when you're just killing random people and kids and all these things? Why? Of course, you're surrounded by enemies. You just created get them. The hell, get yeah. the hell out. I mean, you have your own land. You wanted your own land. Whenever somebody commits a crime here or, you know, rapes a child, they escape there and they get, you go, just go. Go, leave it. We we take care of ourselves. Yeah, Jonathan Pollard goes there. He gets pardoned and released by Trump. And he goes to Israel and tells Jews in America to spy like he did. Yeah. For Israel, yeah, and there was a there was a video of a, a a woman at Harvard yesterday saying the same exact thing, saying the job of the Jew in the United States is to promote Israel, is to do everything they can for Israel, is to serve Israel. Okay, now if this was just some homeless lady on the street saying this, I'd be like, all right, you know, she's homeless, she's probably mentally ill. This is a woman who's a chair at Harvard, who's probably emotionally and mentally ill, but still, this is a coming from a place of influence. Mm-hmm. That is an elite university. What is our? I mean, if we let them just walk all over us, for she's policy, teaching people who are, go to work at the State Department. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Work at CIA. Yeah. yeah. To, you know. You know the Treasury Department and. Um, that's the function of the diaspora is to m- make sure other countries work at or put at the service of Israel. I think so. When that when that Polish member of the Shem, ext- by the way, he didn't he just extinguished it, right? 
he didn't knock um, it over or anything. Uh, some uh, woman he, did get up. Some woman did get up in his face and try and stop him, and he blasted her in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not like he went into a, you know, he went to a, a synagogue and, and a, you know, shot four dozen people, and no. then, then it's called a hero, like that happens in Israel. Um, but the, um, the, um, oh, what well, well, point I was making? Oh, I mean. One of the things he said was they're trying to make Poland a Jewish state. Now he, I assume he said that in Polish. So how was that translated? What did he mean by that? What he meant by that was having the Polish government being subverted by Jewish influence and by the very techniques that they've subverted every government in the West, including the United States. So it effectively becomes a Jewish state, like the U.S. government has become, because that's when you have the State Department, when you have the Treasury Department, when you have Department of Homeland Security, when you have the Pentagon, you know, uh, Central Intelligence Agency, uh, all doing the bidding of Israel, you effectively have a Jewish state in the United States. When you have, uh, you know, an obsequious Congress passing one unanimous motion after another, forking over billions and billions of borrowed money, you know, from the bankers, many of whom probably identify with Israel as, as citizens, uh, uh, they're literally printing up the money and charging interest on the money to, to, to fork over to Israel and collecting the interest on it. That's how the, our money system works. That's how our debt-based money system works. How perverse that is. Uh, people have, you know, don't think about it. But that's probably what that guy meant. When he, when he means Jewish, he talks about the infiltration of LGBTQ and perversion, all that. He properly identifies that as, 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 uh, as, as being uh, yeah, a Jewish thing. Jewish, uh, you know, de de degenerates are being promoted under the guise of liberalism. You know, the problem is that here in the West, people, many people even who decry or lament degeneracy and cultural decline and, and, and immorality, uh, they, they, they're they unwilling to identify the, the, the primary agents promoting it. You know, they'll, they'll blame secular radicals or secular humanism and liberalism and these things, uh, communism, you know. Even they, they even go as far as the cultural Marxism, but they won't name the, you know uh, the Jewish influence behind it. Yeah, somebody um, that web the Twitter account end wokeness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, somebody had posted up uh, under it had used one of their screenshot one of their tweets and put next to it just end wokeness, all capital letters in those. Because that's another one of those accounts. It's like it's not going to say who's who's promoting this. Mm -hmm. Where's it coming from? It's like libs of TikTok. Do you think libs of TikTok, who's been supporting Israel all throughout this whole thing, do you, do you, is is this person on your side? Do you realize that uh, the the funniest thing that you can find out about libs of TikTok is that. This is a, an account that is completely against wokeness. Okay. Who's it run by? Who was it owned by? I think, I think now, I think the, um, uh, it might be the, um, that parody, parody account, um, place the, the Babylon B may have, yeah. that, may have control of that account now. But I mean, the woman who started that account. I'm <laughs> I'm friend or foe. Well, when Israel when Israel got attacked, 
we found out who who her loyalty it goes to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pointing. Well, again, she's an American. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Does she necessarily take the, the side of Israel in this conflict? Yeah. I mean, they cannot mm. help it. You know, it's like you know, when I see what's happening in Spain right now. You know, they people getting arrested for saying the rosary in public and um, a bunch of marches going on. The Vox part, one of the members of the Vox Party, leaders of the Vox Party, just got shot in the face. I'm, you know, think about my heritage and I'm like, damn, that, you know, I wish things could be better there. I'm not calling for, I don't want the United States to get involved and go there. And, you know, it's like, if, if I wanted to do that, I'd just go. You know, I don't have dual loyalty, mm-hmm. you know, and when then when you finally find out when something like October 7th happens, you find out that it's not dual loyalty. It's singular. They don't have any loyalty to this country. All this country is to so many of them is what this country can do for Israel. That's it. That's it. They want, I mean, right from the start, say, we need American troops here. Yeah. You need American troops. You need Americans. You need the descendants of founding stock to go and fight your wars for you. You quote unquote high IQ, overly successful, wealthy. You need what well, you need us. Yeah, well, I'm not founding stock, but you need founding stock. You need citizens like myself to go fight your war for you. Why? You don't want to do it yourself. Or are you just a leech on this country? Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's the relationship. Let's, let the listener make up their mind what what mm-hmm. it is. I, I, I assume that many will be listening to this and just go, it's just basic anti-Semitism. It's the anti-Semitism that the ADL is warning about. It's 3,000% up. Well, they've come out and they've openly said that the the sensibilities or feelings of individual Jews and college campuses are more important than the First Amendment or the free speech or free speech. Well, yeah, I mean, they, yeah. And what about my sensibilities, my feelings? How come nothing was, my feelings weren't weren't considered when I had to endure the summer of 2020 and all the George Floyd nonsense and all the rhetoric, all the anti-white rhetoric, all the anti-Christian rhetoric I hear? How about my sensibilities when Rob Reiner produces a, um, a documentary accusing you know, people, uh, 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 you know, uh, who have Christian values of promoting, you know, Christian nationalism, the fascism, being anti-American. What about my feelings? What about, I mean, what about someone like me who's basically moved out into the middle of nowhere to get away from the cities and the suburbs that they've created? Yeah. I mean, I'd lo- I wouldn't mind living close to a, close to a city. I wouldn't mind living in you know, ten you know ten twenty minutes outside of a of a big city where you can get you have access to a lot of things. You also have access to the levers of power. So that's where most of the power real lies. But why would I want to do that? 
why would I want to subject myself? Why would I want to subject my wife to those to what that's become? Yeah. And again, it's just a question. If there's an order, there's, there's a group of people who identify, you know, organize on their ethnic, ethnic lines and identify a particular interest or, you know, or an agenda based on ethnic lines, and then they have to be uh, also be criticized collectively as well uh, based on that identity. If you wanted, but if you want, yeah. you or I wanted to organize along, uh, you know, uh, ethnic lines or Catholic lines, things like that. It's not allowed, Tim. It's not. It's only for them. They yeah, and, the and and the criticism they hear, which they call anti-Semitism, it never. They never reflect on it. Maybe this is warranted criticism. Maybe it's, you know, negative feedback is important in any relationship. <laughs> uh, yeah, but they don't. Again, if but then if you control the media, uh, control finance, uh, you don't have to. At least you don't feel you have to. Because then you can just spin everything you want you know, in the way you want. You can you can buy congressmen and, and tell them to have hearings. They can harangue, you know, addled, airheaded Ivy League uh, school, uh, university presidents. You know, because they don't want people of substance in those positions. People, uh, men of substance, would have kicked back a little bit, would have had something to say, meaningful. Uh, but so they want you know they want airheads in these positions. They don't want universities to educate. They don't want governments to represent, you know. They don't want media to inform, and uh, they 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 want they want to control it all. It goes back to that article that I read about about psychopathy. It's all complete. It's dominance, and they, the moment they don't get one hundred percent their way, they're the victim. You know, you don't think there's any room for criticism how Israel's conducted itself in the past seventy five years? Really? It's anti-Semitism. It's it's like it's pathological hatred. To be critical of it, you don't think anything the Jews have done, how they behaved in the United States and other countries in the past, you know, since the Enlightenment or since you know since the 19th century, or, or is worthy of any criticism? You're always the victim, really. <laughs> is that a reasonable position? I mean, you have that. Many, oh, there's nothing wrong with American entertainment and movies. There's nothing wrong with it. And who produces it? You dominate it. You brag about dominating it. And so to, to take to take to be critical of its influence of the you know of the substance its material that makes you an anti, you're just a crazed anti semite when they're promoting all the manner of degeneracy and abortion and it destroys communities destroys people's lives causes the you know basically the uh, the society just to dissolve and and there's no room for criticism there you're promoting homosexuality there's no room for criticism there you're openly promoting homosexuality. They're calling me immoral for opposing that when you when you when you use the media to infect the minds of children, social media. You create social media to destroy lives. I'm an anti-Semite for pointing that out. And then you turn around and, and shut down free speech, what little of it remains in our society and social media. And I'm I'm the I'm the problem. I'm willing to debate you. I'm willing to engage you in debate in these things. You're supposed to have higher uh, verbal IQ. Debate me then. Don't shut me down. You know. I will. Ridiculous. Um, uh, I'll I'll close on this, Tim. I don't talk about this very often, but um, the first high school that I went to, I went to a very very prestigious prep school. Um, I got kicked out. I got kicked out for behavior. When my parents came in, 
they didn't accuse the school of, you know, not understanding me or um, you know, not understanding my behavior. They didn't even try to convince them that they needed to change the rules that my behavior need my behavior. Um, the new the, there should be new rules that made my behavior okay. They saw that I was in the wrong. They examined it, and they said, "Yep, we understand exactly why you're doing this to our son." I've you're when have we ever seen when have we ever seen that when it comes to their behavior mm-hmm. they get kicked out of a country or asked to leave a country or be told convert to catholicism or get out and no one asks why two two civilizations a thousand miles apart, a thousand a thousand years apart, look upon the same group and say, we can't have them here. And no one asks why. Why? Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, I was, when it comes to this group, that's all I bet. Why? Why? always complaining about everything that's always happened to you. And then when you ask why, you get called an anti-Semite. Maybe that's what all of this rise in quote-unquote anti-Semitism is. People are asking, well, I mean, why did Hamas do this? Mm -hmm. You're an anti-Semite for asking that. How do you talk, how do you bring in context for history? Yeah. That's right. Context. That's what got the uh, uh, President McGill in trouble. She said, well, what context or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> what's the context of all this? You're yeah. an anti-Semite. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's uh, where we are. And again, I, think it's, I think it's so obvious now. That I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. But this, I, I, I mean, I know the media it's hard to tell because the media's not going to cover it there in there's certainly the political classes and but certainly a lot of people are rolling their eyes and asking you know why why are we putting up with this it's a little over the top now well you know. i think that one thing that we can hope for because it just keeps shifting that window is for it to escalate how about this, this tell them to take your money and like elon musk said uh you know, f yeah. off. Yeah. Um, Gfy. I know they don't. They don't. They don't understand that. But if you look, I was looking. Now I know something like Harvard. The endowment that Harvard has, they could literally pay for everyone's undergrad tuition for just a, a fraction, of the value of their of their. Um, oh yeah, they could. They could have free tuition. I think on mm-hmm. their endowment for, uh, with the rolls the way they are right now for 50, 60 years. Hmm. Yeah. But I, I just don't think it should be tolerated for billionaires to tell universities to shut down free speech or we're taking our money. These universities are tax-free hedge funds anyway. They have no business operating the way they're operating anyway. Yeah, Harvard um, has a 50 – annual tuition is $56,000 for 
free tuition would cost them four hundred five million a year. Uh, their endowment is fifty one billion, so it's point zero zero seven nine percent of their endowment for annual tuition. Similar, uh, I guess, uh, numbers exist for Yale, even Notre Dame. Um, Maybe one of these days we can have a conversation about why we even have billionaires. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> behind every great fortune lies a crime, as hmm. someone once said. <laughs> How did they become billionaires? Is it compound interest? <laughs> so, so, okay, well... Pete, thanks for coming back on the show. Of course. Always a pleasure. I'll let you go. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Tim. I know. The- <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas. It's- <laughs> you take care of yourself, Tim. Thank you very so- much for the invite again. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye.